All right, well, I, I am glad to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I thought that that might go differently. I'm glad it went that way. But on Monday, I had one of those moments that reminded me of how quick things can change. I was uh, on 275 in Kentucky, and a lady slammed into me, rear-ended me. Everyone was all right, and that's what matters, but I thank God that nobody was injured. So I'm extra thankful to be here with you guys today. So I kind of told a fib last week. I said I would finish the uh, Beatitudes this week, and it didn't go that way. I, I, we're going to hit the Beatitudes again, but it, there's a whole lot more to these next two Beatitudes than I thought. So I confess that sin to you guys now. If you go back on the internet, don't yell at me. I, I, I thought I was going to finish the Beatitudes, but this week I did not. Yeah, I like that. I tried to tell my mom that one too, and she just was not buying it. I didn't eat those cookies. I just changed my mind. Sometimes that doesn't work though. But uh, so this week, we are going to continue where we left off uh, last week in the Beatitudes. So if you missed that, part one of this sermon should be online, uh, so you can go um, on our website and listen to it. But just to recap, Jesus went on a mountainside to teach his disciples. Jesus is teaching his disciples what kind of people and attitudes lead to blessings. He is giving hope to his disciples because they are about to go through some very tough times. He is teaching God's children that they will have struggles that lead to eternal blessings. But before we get to our first beatitude, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that we can freely gather together um, and praise you and worship you and learn about you. And as I bring this lesson today, I pray that I'm not moving people by clever speech. Um, they don't think I'm moving them by wisdom, um, unless that wisdom comes from you, because we're taught that we need to move people by the power of Jesus, that his spirit would move throughout this congregation and continue moving throughout the week, and that it would move in me as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as a refresher, we're going to read the Beatitudes again. So if you don't mind, please stand for the reading of God's word once you find Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, 
and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. So last week, we left off right before we got to this beatitude found in Matthew 5, 7. And it reads, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, mercy is defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Now, there is a difference between being nice and being merciful. Sometimes we have to do things that are unpleasant. Sometimes we have to correct people if they sin against us, as it says in Luke 17, 3 and 4. Jesus says to them, So watch yourself. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sinned against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent. You must forgive them. Being loving and being merciful go hand in hand. But we aren't loving to each other if we don't call each other to repent. Here, Jesus instructs us that if someone genuinely repents, we are supposed to forgive them, even if they sin against us seven times in a day. This is absolute foolishness to the world we live in. The world will tell us that that's being a doormat. But this is not a suggestion by Jesus. But don't worry. Jesus knows what he's talking about. We are to be like Jesus and to be extremely forgiving. That means when we are mad at someone, we don't just keep bringing up their faults. We don't store people's faults in our minds, and then when we get angry later, bring them back up again. Mercy and forgiveness means that we don't try to punish people because of what they've done. The goal is not to hurt people. The goal is to be transformed and walk just like Jesus did on the earth. Jesus expands on this later in his Sermon on the Mount, and this is found in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So before we go and try to help others, we have to get the plank out of our own eyes. Before we even think about judging others, we have to judge ourselves. We have to be careful because as it says at the beginning of this verse, that we will be judged in the same way we judge others. We've got to ask ourselves, are we tolerant for people's mistakes? What's our attitude when someone goes really slow or cuts us off in traffic? 
then we have to ask ourselves, are we perfect ourselves? Are we thinking about punishing them or are we thinking about being merciful and helpful to others? Do we do things that annoy other people? Maybe you don't have road rage, but you have different pet peeves. But who's to say my pet peeve is better than your pet peeve and your pet peeve is more important than my pet peeve? I know before I received Christ, I acted like a fool. And the only reason I don't act like a fool is because Christ transformed me. But still, sometimes, I make mistakes and I annoy people. And we see all these sinful things around us, and we think, man, the world is crazy. And some of those things can even be scary at times. And we see all these things around us that maybe we don't agree with. But we shouldn't judge those people with anger. I hear constantly people insulting the president. It doesn't mean, I mean, this president, the president before that, the president before that, all the time, there's always people insulting the presidents. And I'm not talking about constructive criticism, but insults out of anger and for entertainment. And I would be the first to tell you, I don't agree with a lot of values that a lot of these presidents have. But we've got to be careful about what we say. A lot of times these presidents are lost. They don't exhibit fruits of the Spirit. Neither did the rulers at the time of Jesus who murdered Christians. But our perfect example is Jesus. And he called the spiritual leaders to repent because they knew better. But he also prayed for those who didn't know better. He said when he was being crucified, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they do. We need to spend more time and effort praying for not just our leaders, but the people around us. Why? Because they do not know what they do. Jesus goes on to say in the Lord's Prayer, if we forgive people, we will be forgiven. But then Jesus also goes on to say, if we don't forgive people, we will not be forgiven. And that's why it is written, it's blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, our next beatitude is found in Matthew 5.8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So what does it mean to have a purified heart? Well, an easy answer would be having a clean heart. So what things need to be cleaned from our hearts? And I don't mean our physical hearts and cleaning clogged arteries and eating less cholesterol, but our spiritual hearts. So you can keep the chips or whatever. Actually, I don't know if you can do that. Some people are like, whew. So our heart, according to the Bible, is where our passions come from. We can have pure and good passions, like following Jesus and loving other people. But the problem is, is we can also have impure passions, like Jesus explains in Matthew 15, 18 through 20. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, 
slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. In this Bible verse, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees made these extra rules about washing their hands. Jesus is teaching them that these extra rules don't defile a person. Now, you might have to go get Pepto-Bismol if you don't wash your hands, but it doesn't defile your heart. Has anyone ever told you that the Pharisees are just these religious people who tried to follow the law and didn't commit serious sins? Well, the majority of people think that Jesus didn't like the Pharisees because it was only because they were too religious. But that isn't exactly true. The Pharisees were religious leaders at that time. These leaders were supposed to be held to a higher standard. And that's why Jesus treated them differently than other people that didn't know better. Jesus lets us know that they honored God with their mouth, but their hearts were far from him. Jesus teaches us that the Pharisees look good on the outside, but on the inside, their hearts were full of greed and selfishness. Jesus goes on to say that they are like their fathers who murdered the prophets. Jesus said these Pharisees were blind guides who taught the people to be children of hell. We want to learn from their mistakes. We want to make sure we have a clean inside more than a clean appearance. We don't want to go praising God and then when we're in the privacy of our own homes, be filled secretly with lust and greed. According to Jesus, if we do that, we are unclean and impure. Jesus is telling us if we have a clean heart, we will see God. So how do we get a clean heart? Now, there are a lot of people that try to explain uh, being pure in heart in a way that doesn't make sense. And sometimes they'll even scramble with unrelated verses because they actually don't believe we can have a clean heart like Jesus tells us. So let's look at some passages that will help us understand how to have a pure heart. First, let's go to Hebrews 9.14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Unlike animal sacrifice, Jesus offered his perfect, unblemished body and soul as a sacrifice. We see here the blood of Christ cleanses our hearts. The blood of Christ cleanses us from acts that lead to death. Now remember, Jesus was just talking about that before he died. He was saying the things that defile us or make us dirty comes from our heart. And Jesus' blood cleanses us from those acts that leads us to spiritual death. Let's continue to read in Hebrews 9 to get a full understanding of what the powerful blood of Jesus does. Hebrews 9, 26 through 28 reads, Otherwise Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the age to do with sin, do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that, 
face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting on him. And we can see from these verses that Jesus' death continues to remove sins from our lives until he comes back. The sacrifice of Jesus is so powerful, he doesn't have to keep dying over and over. The blood of Jesus not only forgives us our sins, but it, it says here it takes those sins away, like we just read in Psalm, from east to the west. He promises us that we don't have to live in those things that defile our hearts. Sometimes we'll hear people say, you know, I'm stuck in sin and, you know, and God wants to take that away. He's, he's faithful and he's just and we can believe that he has power to do that. If I believe that Jesus died for my sin and I secretly steal thousands of dollars from the company that I work at, are my sins still there? Well, we will get to that question a little bit later. It is not his blood only that takes our sin away. So let's look at some verses that tell us what other things work with the blood of Christ to take our sin away. So the next verse we're about to read is Paul's conversion. This is found in Acts twenty-two sixteen, And we have Ananias is instructing Paul what to do. Um, he's, first, he's just heard the gospel and he's converting over to Christianity. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So baptism cleanses cleanses sin along with the blood of Jesus. Just to make sure this is clear, let's go to another verse to solidify this statement. Let's read 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Peter lets us know that the water is not used for bathing when we get baptized in water. It works with the resurrection of Christ to cleanse us. When we are baptized, we pledge to leave our old life in the water and we believe in the power of the resurrection to give us everything we need to stay clean. You might look at this verse and say, does that mean I have to keep getting baptized anytime I fall into sin? Well, let's read what John says about cleansing sin after baptism. We find this in 1 John 1, 7-9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. His Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So I'm going to skip that first part of the verse because I will circle back around to it. 
Um, but what I want to hit first is that John says we have all sinned. If we think we have never sinned, he says we are deceiving ourselves. Now, some people will take this verse and say it means we will always be stuck in sin, and there's nothing we can do about that. But that is definitely not the lesson that John's bringing to us. And if you read the rest of his letter, you'll, you'll see very clearly that's not um, where he was going with that. And it actually, even the, the next verse tells us that we do not have to be stuck in sin. Because John is saying, if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us. Remember what we read earlier about being merciful. Our God is very merciful. And if we repent and ask for forgiveness, even seven times in a day, He can forgive us. Asking for forgiveness is not a magical chant where you can just say a prayer and He forgives you. We have to authentically come to Him asking for forgiveness. We can't just go, hey, God, forgive me. I'm about to go cheat on my wife. Or, God, forgive me. This dude's really upset me. I'm about to punch him in the face. Also, James talks about how we should confess our sins to each other. That we should pray for each other. And we should pray that God heals us from repetitive sin. I'm not going to go much into that verse because I pretty much read that verse every week at the end of the service. So I'm going to circle back around to the beginning of that first John 7 verse. There's one more aspect than just asking for forgiveness. John says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, his son, who purifies us from all sin. So if we walk with Jesus, we have fellowship with the blood of Jesus. Remember, we talked about how powerful the blood of Jesus is and how it can take all our sins away forever. John explains a part of having fellowship with that blood is walking with Jesus. We are being purified when we are being led by Jesus. Not being led by our own desires. How are we led by Jesus? Well, fortunately for us, Jesus has promised his words will remain forever. We are led by his words. Peter speaks about this in 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of the imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And when that word of God in there is talking about the spoken word, is the Greek word, so you would know it's the New Testament, the words of Jesus. One of the ways our hearts are made pure is by obeying the words of Jesus. By having faith in what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, all the Gospels, by believing in Jesus' words. And it says in there that that's a seed that gives us new birth. 
believing on the easy things and the tough instructions because we believe it will be worth it. So the question earlier was, if I believe Jesus died for my sins on the cross, and if I secretly steal thousands of dollars from my company, will those sins remain? Well, that depends on our faith. Do we believe the saints when they tell us that we are purified not only by His blood, but also asking for the forgiveness? Do we believe the saints when they tell us that we are purified by obeying the truth? This means we do have to repent. If we ask for forgiveness and don't really intend on forsaking our sin, that sin remains. But God can truly see the condition of our heart. We can't fake repentance to Him like we can the people on the earth. If we have sin in our lives, we need to confess it to God and to each other so we can be healed. God gave us the gift of His words. If we try to receive forgiveness in another way, it's by using our own intelligence and our own strength. But as we learned earlier, God is merciful. He loves His children and wants to restore them. So if you are struggling, I implore you, take this message to heart. I know it's my desire, and I believe it's God's desire, that everyone in this room or listening online will have a pure heart. I don't want one person to miss out and not see God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your words. Thank you for your spirit. I just pray that you increase our faith as we hear it, that we believe that you can do powerful things, that the same spirit, the resurrected Christ, can move us to walk like he did on this earth. Yeah, we may not receive the same glory, but as children, we are supposed to look similar to our Savior. So as I pray, I just pray that you put that, increase that spirit in every one of us and give us power to live this life like you promised us we can. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.